Hello, and welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York, that believes wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this week's sermon. Well, welcome everyone. Welcome to Hope Brooklyn. My name is Bryant. Uh, I'm a pastor here, and uh, we're right now continuing on our series through um, the parables. Um, And the parables have been, once again, a way for Jesus to um, share just enlightening things about the kingdom, to reveal the truth about the kingdom. And the parables have this powerful, powerful tendency to either convict us in a way where we feel um, like we feel this enlightening of understanding truth and kingdom and gospel together, or it actually unearths a lot of things um, that we've been holding on to. It might be things that we've idolized. It might be things that maybe we had a perception of the kingdom. And then Jesus brings in this renewed look um, of either not just a new picture, but a a better picture of what the kingdom of God looks like. And so today, um, we're actually going to be tackling two parables, but they're within one parable, um, as Jesus frames it. And it's a way for us to be able to see um, how Jesus envisions growth. Right? We, we all love growth. We all love, you know, up and to the right. Um, we, we like to see things um, profit. We like goals, results. Uh, we like growth. And so Jesus kind of frames this kingdom mentality of how is the kingdom going to grow and what does it look like? And so before we get there, if I could just open us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for um, this Sunday gathering. We thank you for this church and this community, for those who have been with us for years or for those who are here for the first time today. I pray that our hearts may just be ready to listen, and not to just listen physically for our years, but may our hearts receive um, what you are sharing and imparting to us, um, a message of grace, of gospel, of power, and hope. And so God, just be with us. May it be your word spoken, and we thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're, we're going to be in Luke chapter 13, um, verses 18 to 21, um, and this parable um, of the mustard seed is kind of is shared in a couple of different contexts um, throughout the Gospels, but here he, it's it's paired with the, the parable of the east. And so these two parables, it's, it's interesting because it's agricultural, and if you enjoy baking, um, it will make sense. I am neither one of those. Um, I cannot grow anything. Um, I I know so many many people went through this baking phase during the pandemic. Um, where like I guess sour, sourdough starters was like a thing everyone's trading. I don't know. It was like I, I know we had way too much bread because my wife was like just baking everything and anything, any recipe she found online. So I got to reap all the benefits with no, none of the work. Um, but in Luke 13, 18 to 21, Jesus kind of he, he frames the kingdom of God um, because as he's being continually being surrounded, as he's continuing to perform miracles. People are trying to comprehend and understand what is this kingdom that Jesus is speaking of. Because every type of audience had a different perception of the kingdom. And especially for the Jewish people, their, their perception of the kingdom was this picture that is going to come in power, in fullness, and in strength, and immediately. But that's not how it operates. And so in verse 18, it says, Then Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? Is it like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden? It grew and became a tree and the birds perched in its branches. So that's the first one. And this is, again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. 
And so Daryl Albaca, commentator, he, he writes this. He says, his remarks, Jesus' remarks, are important in light of a Jewish expectation that the kingdom would come all at once and of great power. So he's kind of like just not dampering the expectations, but making sure that they understand the kingdom that he is delivering. And the, the, one of the problems that the Jewish leaders had of Jesus during this time and his time of ministry was that they could not believe that he was the Messiah. They expected their Messiah to come in power and might and force, overturning everything and handing over the, king, the reins of the kingdom to the Jewish people. And so when they see Jesus in his, his meekness and his humility, right, without the platform, without the great origin story of birth and royalty, they wonder, is this truly the Messiah? Even after witnessing miracles, even after witnessing these great things, they're still wondering, is he our Messiah? Because that's not how they picture the kingdom of God. And these Jewish people who have been under rule, who've been oppressed, who've been, you know, kind of casted out and not as the owner of the society, as uh, uh, people who own the power and the platform, they're wondering, when, when will it be our turn? When will it be our time? And so here, Jesus now saying, it's like a mustard seed. And maybe some of you already know, but the mustard seed is not a very mighty seed. Um, it's, it's a tiny seed, but these mustard trees that can grow about to nine feet. And so Jesus saying, the kingdom is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. And it grew, and it became a tree. And the birds perched in its branches, and it received the benefits of this growth. And many times when we look at the kingdom of God, we expect one thing, but Jesus kind of portrays and paints it in a different way. In the same way, when we look at church and how our faith is growing, and how we see the church moving across the city, um, and, how, what, and the work they're doing, man, so many times do I pray that the kingdom of God will come immediately into the city. Not in a, in a way that it restores brokenness when you, see, when you see racism, when you see crime, when you see violence, when you see hatred. You're like, God, please come. Bring healing and restoration into these situations. When we see sicknesses, we're expecting the kingdom of God to come immediately and powerfully. But it, says it has humble beginnings. It starts as a mustard seed. A, uh, a pope, I don't think I had this quote up, sorry, but he says, see, Jesus was that grain of seed. He was a grain of seed when he died and a tree when he rose again. A grain of seed in the humiliation of the flesh and a tree in the power of his majesty. A lot of times we tend to ignore the smaller beginnings. Many times we ignore the smaller activities that are happening around our life, around our world, because we look at something and we expect immediate growth. We expect immediate results. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think we have a tendency to uh, have expectations that if we're putting in the work for something, that there needs to be growth. That when we put in the, in the work and the effort, that we expect results or it's not fruitful. Hey, friend, how are you doing? <laughs> Welcome. Um, so it's, it's, it's a weird combination that we feel like if we're not putting in the effort and the work and there's nothing growing, that we've wasted our time. And how many times have we quit and considered something a failure because after a week or two, we, we're not receiving the results that we desire? Um, I'm the type that when I, 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 I'm actually scared to do something that I know that I won't be good at. 
Uh, we kind of measure, um, like, I, I, I'll watch a thousand tutorials before I start a new hobby. And I project myself in that scenario, like, will I be good at this? Will this be a net positive in my life? Will this be beneficial for me? And so, as I tend to do these activities and these hobbies, if I experience failure, I tend to just never do it again. Um, it's, it, it, like, it, it, it'll discourage or crush my spirit. Um, so I went skiing for the first time um, maybe four or five years ago. And let me tell you, learning to ski as an adult is not as fun as it looks. Um, I, and I, I went with my wife um, and we're learning and she, she set me up. Um, she put me on a hill and a slope that I should not have been on. Right? She said, we're gonna start nice and easy. And all I remember is just flying down the slope. And I just hear Christy yelling in the back, pizza, pizza. If you don't know, that's supposedly how you're supposed to stop, right? But I didn't know, anyway, I didn't understand the physics of it. And so I was making pizza, but in the wrong way where I was actually accelerating my speed and force going down. And I, I'm a big dude, so I'm just flying down this hill, hoping that I don't hit any kids on the way there. And I remember seeing this bright neon, like, fence. And I realized if I don't stop, I'm going directly into this thing. So my initial gut was to just throw myself onto the ground. My skis went flying. I had to go up the hill, climb it, pick it up. My poles, it was, it was a whole disaster. And then to make, add things, to make things worse, um, I had to learn how to ski eventually because it's gonna, we're gonna be there for the whole day. So I went on the little kiddie slope with the magic carpet. I don't know if you've ever gone skiing. And so I'm going up the slope of a bunch of kids and I end up falling on the, on the, on the it's like an escalator essentially. Falling and the whole thing stops. And there's like a four-year-old kid in front of me looking back, giving me this eye like, are you kidding me? Um, and so I'm on this, like, this learning slope, essentially, just learning pizza, a grown man by myself just going down. And I remember that experience, and for me, I'm like, I am never doing that ever again. When, the moment I experience failure, it has, I have this tendency to be like, no, I will not be embarrassed. I know some of you are thinking, like, well, there's a lot of past connections and trauma probably connects to that feeling, but it's true. And... We tend to ignore the possibility of growth because we experience failure or, or embarrassment, humiliation, or we don't experience results right away. And that's why it's so hard to see a longer picture of the kingdom. Because we expect that when we do something at church, if there's an activity or an event held, immediately overnight there should be this revival. Um, growing up in the church as well, I, I, we had these things called revival services. And was, I found it always interesting because we appointed a date when God needs to show up, and if not, you have to wait another year. Right? We had this evening is going to be the, a great revival service. Everyone gathered together. And we, and we have this perception that size equals revival. That mass and population revi it results in revival. And so we would gather everyone. This would be the revival service. And we expected all these things to, to just cascade from that event. That immediately our cities will be changed, our communities will be changed. We expected all these things that God, you have, three, you have a three hour window to show up and transform everyone's life in this room. And then we'll kind of just end up trickling back into our, our normalcy of life. And we wonder where's the movement, where's the traction, where's the results? And we live a life that has that expectation even when it comes to the kingdom of God. How many times have we gotten into a season where we said, I'm going to read the word today. I'm going to start reading the Bible. And after our first day of reading the Bible, we expect results. I'm like, God, you're not speaking to me. 
And then, so Jesus gives us another parable because we see the kingdom of God as a mustard seed. And so Jesus is talking about the gospel being the mustard seed that he understands that it's going to have humble beginnings. That Jesus didn't go take to the podium. He started by inviting people into his work. And inviting people that weren't even that, you know, recognizable. They didn't have any influence or platform. He called his disciples knowing that these individuals would be the fire starters for the gospel. That these individuals would be the ones that takes the message of God and essentially pushes it across Asia, Africa, and globally. So the gospel is like a mustard seed, but once it's planted, it'll grow. It'll grow into a place where the birds perched on its branches that people will receive the good news of grace and the gospel. But then there's a second parable. Says, Again, he asks, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. And for this, in this parable, Jesus is sharing that this yeast that is something that is not seen. It's not recognizable. But we know it's working from the inside out. And in many ways, we have this tendency that when we receive a message of the gospel or we, we, we tend to kind of push all of our hopes into a singular event or moment in our faith. That this is going to be the, the bullet that cures everything, right? Like it's going to fix all the problems in my world. My faith is going to be completely restored. I'm going to see Jesus clearly and closely and intimately. But the reality is as the gospel enters into our lives, like in this parable that Jesus shares, the East, it begins to mix in and work through our life. It begins to impact and influence our, 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 our decisions. It begins to impact and influence our relationships. It's, it works from the inside out. And oftentimes, we, we quit early because we're not seeing the results. We're not seeing the results of the fruit of the Spirit, of patience, kindness, love. And believe it or not, I think it's harder for us because we look at someone and say, well, you've been, you've been a Christian 20 years of your life, and you still behave this way. And we, it becomes this judgmental spirit because we're, we have this expectation of how the gospel should be growing. It should be growing exponentially and it should be growing at a certain rate and pace. It's like me trying to go to the gym and I don't know, I, I'm, I might be just embarrassing myself even more or whatever. Um, I go to the gym, I lift, and then I look at the mirror and I expect results right away. I'm like, I, I had an embarrassing moment yesterday where my wife and I went to a wedding dinner party and I don't fit into any of my suits anymore. All right, it's, it's the second event in a row where I went with my pants, the top button undone. I just prayed that the belt held it together, okay? <laughs> and so um, I'm like, this was once loose and now it's not. <laughs> and so, but you know, I, in my head for some reason, Monday was coming, last Monday I expected, if I go to the gym three times this week, I could fit into the suit. Right? Like, don't we ever dream of that possibility? Like, if we just put in this little effort and get immediate results, and it never happens. And the same way, we feel like we just walk into this church, we hear one sermon, and we expect the gospel to, com to just completely run the course through our life. And we expect to be discipled by someone that just talks for 25, 30 minutes up here. Meanwhile, Jesus is attempting and knocking day and time and time again by every second to speak to us. And I say this not in a judgmental way because that was me. I expected 
whoever preaches on this Sunday, believe it or not, I had to sit through <laughs> sermons. Um, we, in Bible college, we had chapel every day, 10 a.m. Okay, so you get, you get your spectrum of good preachers and bad preachers. But every day for four years in college, we went to we attend chapel, right? And the weird thing was because I was at a Bible college, I expected that if I sit through this chapel, because I'm, I'm listening to the gospel every day, right? I'm listening to a sermon every day, good or bad, I'm listening to it every day. I expected that to immediately have the gospel unwrapped and working through the course of my life. And I excused myself. I'm like, well, I'm learning theology in class. I'm reading scripture in class. I'm learning, you know, different biblical languages. But oftentimes, I began to ignore the intimate spaces that God wanted to speak to me, my personal space. And I was just trying to receive this message of the gospel of grace and renewal and restoration and hope and power and healing by just simply sitting at the feet of a 20-minute message. The reality is that's not true discipleship. It's a part of discipleship. But if that is our only form and source of discipleship, it's lacking. It's as if we were to imagine that we just take one A1 green drink and our diet is good for the rest of the week. Okay, if you've never seen those commercials, I'm very tempted with so much money. But, you know, we, we see all these supplements, right? You just drink this one packet and everything is good. You have all of it compact, right? I'm like, I'm sick of, like, I just, just give, me, give me the one thing that I need. But we ignore our, if we ignore the actual diet and the intake of, of, of substance in our life, we're going to be hungry. And in the same way, if this moment here, and which, by the way, I don't want to dismiss this moment because I think it's a beautiful moment of people gathering together to be able to experience God as one, to worship together as one, to share fellowship together. It's, 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 it's so unique and it's so powerful. I mean, if you just think back to the times of the pandemic when we were hungering to gather together again. But at the end of the day, if this is the only part of our spiritual diet, we're going to hunger. The gospel is not going to be able to fully work its course throughout our life. And I will say for those of us who might, might be frustrated with the movement of grace in our, in our personal lives, and maybe we are, we're harsh on ourselves saying, man, I've been a follower of Jesus for this long, but X, Y, Z hasn't resulted yet. I'm still dealing with this bitterness. I'm still dealing with this jealousy. I'm still dealing with this pride and anger. Be patient with yourself. Allow God to continually work. And that's why as I preach, anytime I preach, I don't come here as a person that's the complete final product. Don't look at me. Look to Jesus. I am not the final product. Far from it. I'm still allowing the kingdom of God to work through my life, to be mixed into all the areas of influence and desires. I still battle with jealousy. I still battle with pride. And it's something that I continually need to allow the gospel to work. But I will say, if I were to look at myself 10 years ago, when I, be, you know, when I started to grow in Christ, hopefully that there's, there's been movement and there's been change. Maybe it's the dial and the needle just, just ever so slightly turning. Maybe we're extending a little bit more patience to the people that have been just on our last nerve. Maybe the extension of Christ's love has been reaching some people that we never thought would reach before. Maybe for the first time in our life, we're experiencing this intimacy and the power of Jesus. 
don't dismiss humble beginnings. And the question is, are we dismissing the power of the gospel because it seems small right now? Maybe in our, certain, in our current situation, God just doesn't seem real and tangible. Maybe in the, in, the, in the cloud of distractions and pain and just the fog of life, the gospel doesn't seem as big and powerful as it once did. And that's okay. Allow the small, humble beginnings to work through our life. Don't expect to come out of this today and say, well, I'm going to be praying two hours tomorrow. I'm motivated. Now, what if all it took was to begin with a, a minute of prayer in the morning, just thanking God? Begin there. Maybe we could never see ourselves up here worshiping and leading people in worship, but begin to practice worship in our personal life. Just singing songs of adoration to Jesus with your own words. Maybe we're frustrated ourselves because we don't see the gospel evident even though we've been trying all these formulas and activities. Let's just learn to sit with Jesus. And if, if any of us here are just achievers, right, we, we have like our 10-year goals, we have our projections for life. Maybe for some of us we're getting frustrated that the gospel is not advancing as quickly as we need to. Maybe we look at our church and we think it's not growing at the pace that I would like to. Maybe we look at other Christians and saying, why are you not growing at the pace that I would want you to? Allow the gospel, as Jesus says, let it be east. Let it mix into our souls, into our hearts, and continue to work its way through it because over time, I promise you, time spent with Jesus is going to produce a life and fruit that reflects Jesus. I hope that I'm not the same person I was 15 years ago. I hope I'm not the same person I was when I met Jesus. I also hope that I'm not the same person that I was yesterday. Every day is a pursuit of allowing Jesus to work in our life. It's an opportunity to listen to his voice, to be intimate with him. And a lot of this comes down to trust. Um, I, I don't know where this line became famous. I just know it through basketball, but trust the process, right? When your franchise, your team is in shambles, it's like you want results right away. You want a winning culture now. But sometimes you got to build from humble beginnings. You got to build and trust the process. And a lot of times we don't trust, trust the process of God. Because for us, one year seems like eternity. Maybe we have a timeline or a shelf life on certain things in our life. How long we're going to be in New York City? How long we're going to be in this church? How long am I going to remain in community, in my job? We have, we have a timeline of when we want things accomplished. We have a shelf life. And it's hard to trust God because God's saying, I'm going to work beyond that time. Like, no, we have a deadline, God. Okay, you have one year to make some major changes in my life. Um, I, I see this process happening in premarital counseling. When couples get engaged and as premarital, I do premarital, them, all these things get surfaced. And they're like, we're getting married in six months. We've got to figure this out. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. you ain't going to figure out lifelong trauma and family history in six months. 
All right, it's going to be a lifetime commitment to working on it together and with yourself and with God. We have a shelf life, but the process is trusting God that he has a plan. And um, Charles Swindoll, a pastor, he says, we must cease striving. And by striving, he means just activity and trust God to provide what he thinks is best and in whatever time he chooses to make it available. But this kind of trusting doesn't come naturally. It's a spiritual crisis of the will in which we must choose to exercise faith. And for some of us, that is the most painful thing that we could dream of, to exercise faith in moments when I should do something about this. How many of us just enjoy being idle? For me, driving in traffic is like the worst thing in the world because I feel like I'm wasting my life away. I'm like, this should not take 30 minutes to go one mile. So I try to make it as productive as possible. Listen to podcasts, audiobooks. I gotta maximize my time because it's such a weird thing to sit in my car without music, without sound, and just wait. I mean, how many of us on a subway, we, we plan what we're gonna listen to, what music we're gonna listen to, what speakers, what, we're, gonna, we're gonna maximize our commute time. Have we ever just sat, I, you know, I forgot my headphones once and I thought I was like a maniac on the train. Like people were like looking at me like, oh, you're just, you have your phone away? <laughs> you have your, your headphones away? And just, just sitting there silently and just observing, well, trains are not really silent, but you know what I mean. The inactivity sometimes gets to us. And in faith, in our walk of God, we try to supplement our inactivity because we don't trust that God is working in that moment. We don't trust that in the moments of silence with God that he is actually speaking or maybe even teaching us to wait. We don't understand that if we don't have this great adventure with God, that he's not revealing his purpose and dream. Right? How many of us, we, we wait for that moment, that confirmation, God, just give me a sign. Give me a sign. Let me just, let me just dream. Let me have a prophetic word. Right? Let, let a random stranger just come to me, talk to me about the things that I've been worried about. Let, let, give me all the signs, God. Right? And, and we package it up as this testimony that we experience this, this phenomenal, out-of-world you know, experience of God, and then now I can start moving with God. But what if God is challenging us in the moments to just hold on to faith and to be still? That is sometimes the most challenging thing. The inactivity in the, in the process of waiting. And so as Jesus shares these parables of the mustard seed and the yeast, we realize that the gospel had small and humble beginnings. Jesus didn't choose the highest platform. Jesus didn't choose the greatest workers, the most influential. Jesus began to just operate in these moments of quietness, and the people that were impacted by the gospel, I mean, here we are, centuries later, talking about Jesus. Observing what it looks like to follow Jesus in the life of his gospel. The far reach. And then we also now realize the blessing of the tree that we get to reap the benefits from. That Jesus, who had the small beginnings in his birth, to a family that wasn't, didn't ha not, it wasn't a royal family, didn't have a reputation, 
and even in his death and resurrection. And if we give permission, it's an opportunity for him to begin to work through our life through the small things, the humble beginnings. And I'm going to ask our communion ushers and our worship team to come up at this time. Going back to that quote, he was a grain of seed when he died and a tree when he rose again. A grain of seed in the humiliation of the flesh, a tree in the power of his majesty. The hearers of this parable wanted the powers of Jesus now. They expected the government and his reign to come and enter in now. But that's not how Jesus taught, and that's not how he operated. Even when he resurrected in the book of Acts, the disciples are wondering, Jesus, you're back. You're all, oh, you're real. This is living proof that I get to experience the power and the overturning. When will it be our time? And he dispels that. But he does say that the message, that they will be witnesses in their towns, Judea, Samaria, and eventually to the ends of the earth. This is the tree that we sit under, the gospel that was planted in a garden, something, a seed so small. And so Hope Brooklyn, my encouragement is if you feel the working of God in your life, whether it's new for the first time, or maybe it's been a very long time, don't dismiss it. Lean into it. Sit with it. It could be a small prayer. We don't need to travel to across the country. We don't need to travel across the globe. Sometimes it just happens in, in the waiting in our rooms, on the, on the commute, walking the streets of New York, just listening to his voice affirming and reminding us that one day, one day those humble beginnings will blossom into power. That those humble beginnings will grow into something so powerful that it can never be crushed by the things of this world. Those small beginnings will turn into a hope, a light of hope, that no matter what happens around us, our circumstances, even if the ground beneath us is taken away, that that hope will never be crushed. That these small beginnings of the gospel will be a joy that no one can ever steal or rob. That it is an identity and grace that no matter how many times people may smear our name, our reputation, no matter how many times try to people crush our identity and to say that we're not valuable, no matter what the world projects of our worth, it's an identity that's, that is instilled in royalty and power. And ultimately, it's a message that this small seed will absolutely crush and wash away all of our sins, all of our failures, and all of our darkest moments. And the kingdom of God will come and bring light, healing, restoration, and hope. So maybe some of us here, we're dealing with something just so broken and traumatic in our life, a moment of failure that's been just haunting us. Maybe our, the answer isn't to go on this great exploration adventure that's cinematic and 
novel-worthy, movie-worthy. Maybe it's just to take that today and to offer it to Jesus and allow his gospel to mix its way through. Mix its way through all the pain, the sorrow, the fears. And then allow this tree, the growth of the gospel, become real.